Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast. Traders, welcome back for episode 239. The first episode that I'm co-hosting alongside Tessa. If you didn't catch this news, then I would encourage you to actually go back an episode and listen to that announcement. See episode 238. Anyhow, today the theme is my first year trading full time, which is exactly how it sounds. We speak to someone who's recently taken the leap and come face to face with the trials and tribulations of full time trading. A little while back, I did several episodes following this same theme. They were quite popular and relatable to many. I guess it's a slight change of pace from the usual big shots I feature on the podcast here. Now, this episode features Nicholas Bradburn, who innocently stumbled onto the now infamous subreddit Wall Street Bets a few years ago, which led to the discovery of options and roaring cannabis stocks at the time. After some meddling and a few hiccups, like running out of money, Nick began to take trading more seriously in 2020. Once the pandemic hit, the stimulus check hit, and the stability of his livelihood became uncertain. I won't say any more, except Nick has since made a full-time commitment to trading and has found consistency playing in the large cap arena. Keep listening for the full story starting right now. My friends, here is Nicholas Bradburn. So Nick, I don't recall exactly what year it was when you started uh, experimenting as a trader, but just tell me before all of that, like what were you doing? What were you doing before you discovered trading? I've worked in the restaurant industry pretty much since I was 15 years old. And at the time I was making wood-fired pizza at a wine bar in a small town in Iowa. Okay. And that's where you still are today, right? No, I actually, this March moved down to the mountains of Virginia, um, sold my house in Iowa and moved 1,200 miles away. And 
tell me how did you like actually discover trading? When did it first come onto your radar? Um, I've been browsing Reddit since maybe like since it was a new platform and probably around the time Wall Street bets started picking up and hitting the front page. And it was around the time that the marijuana stock boom happened. And I remember like seeing people posting their screenshots from their Robin Hood app of making 1200%, 1500% off of just these cheap contracts. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. And of course that didn't go very well. Okay. Yeah, this is what's interesting about your story is because that was your entry into trading was through Wall Street bets and kind of we sort of know how a lot of those stories end up, but you've almost like <laughs> come out the other side. And also, you know, at this time when you were on Wall Street bets, it was a very different era on that subreddit, I think. You know, I think after the whole GME saga. It was. It was pre there since a GME, like people weren't like glorifying losses back then. That whole mindset wasn't a thing, or this whole we're all apes, we're all GME. Like back then, it was more diverse and more just like this is what the hot stocks are. And at the time, it was like Tilray and CGC and all the marijuana stocks that were just shooting up like crazy, with like the potential of like. I think legal, maybe they legalized it in Canada and that shot a bunch of stuff up and then America was talking about it, but that never happens. But where I struck out from them and I really didn't care is I'm a very risk adverse person. So the concept of YOLO or throwing a bunch of money at one thing and seeing what happens just like was not in my playbook or nature whatsoever. Right. So tell me about when you did actually commit to putting on your first few trades like where did you start out were you participating in this um this this hot run in the cannabis sector were you putting on a few options trades getting your feet wet like where did you where did you begin to to sort of commit some money to this i think tilray was my first trade and I bought it when it IPO'd at like $17 and maybe just like eight or nine shares. I mean, I might have put 100 or $200 into a Robinhood account in a time of my life where I had probably 3000 in credit card debt and I was mostly paycheck to paycheck. Not like struggling paycheck to paycheck, but I wasn't like building up a bank account by any means at the time. I was paying off bills. I'd recently paid off a car, recently paid off student loans. And then so it was kind of attractive to me. It's like, hey, I can like maybe make some money in this as well. I was working evenings. I always had mornings off. So it was possible for me to watch the market, which at the time was on my phone from Robinhood. <laughs> and then I think I sold Tilray. Like, I traded it from like 17 to $24. And I was like, wow, that was great. I made money. And then like a few weeks later is when it did that like parabolic move to 300 And I'm like, oh, well, how do I get on this? Yeah, I, sh- I remember that. I don't trade the US market, but obviously I sort of try to keep a little bit of a pulse on some of the big moves there. And I do recall that actually. It's it's funny, like it's hard, like thinking back four years of trading charts, but I do remember that day, like it opened, I think around 150, ran to 300 on the dot and then just plummeted right back down to in the hundreds. Yeah. And I, that was like the first time I'd like seen a short squeeze or even knew what that was. And I was like, Wow, this is wild. Is that what sort of fueled that move? Was it a big short squeeze? 
I don't know because it was a recent IPO, so I don't really know the rules behind shorting and all that. And I definitely didn't know anything back then. But if you compared it to what happened to like GME this year, it was kind of a similar thing. I mean, I wouldn't imagine someone's like FOMOing and thinking they're going to buy this at $300 and it's going to keep going when it was $150 an hour ago. But maybe that's also why I'm still around and most people on Wall Street bets are posting losses. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the timeline. Like, you know, how long did this kind of go on for? I I think just from a, a previous chat with you, I think there was a point where you kind of, you, you ran out of money and it, it wasn't sort of too long after you started. Um, do you just want to talk through that? Like what happened after post this Tilray trade over the next kind of few months? Um, I just really wasn't getting it. And I was like, I had $200 and it was like, okay, I'll put a hundred more in there. And then it was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I ended up putting it down and just kind of be like, okay, I don't have any more money to waste on this until about January of 2020. And I don't even know what sparked it again, but I ended up picking it back up around then. Um, got like a new laptop on a post Christmas deal and then got like an actual, I downloaded Thinkorswim and signed up with TD Ameritrade and started actually learning what candles were instead of just like line charts and really just like kind of dug into it. Um, winters in the American Midwest are terrible. So you find things to do inside to keep you busy from going crazy. And for me working in the evenings, I was like, really interested in watching the market during the daytime. Can you share a little bit more about how did you learn about trading? Is it, were you self-taught or uh, did you learn it through, you know, taking classes? How, how did it come to you? I bought a class that was like a video composition on just like your basic, what is a candlestick? These are patterns. This is what causes stuff to move. And then around February of 2020, I joined one of those Twitter signal groups where it was more than just someone saying like, hey, I'm buying this right now. I'm selling this right now. But he really emphasized his trading method. And this is how I trade big tech and give like conference calls on the weekend to explain like his views of the market and like if this happens this could happen and this is likely and between that and the class it it was also a lot of self-taught because I was just like immersed in it I loved like puzzle games and that's kind of what the market was to me it was this giant always moving puzzle that if you can find the right pieces you can bend it in your benefit and did you just go in and trade it um, live, or did you start out with paper trading before you did that? Um, just went straight into it. I actually didn't know what paper trading was until after <laughs> I was probably knee-deep into it. And then I was like, well, there's no reason to go back now. Um, I do paper trade sometimes where I just like to go back on like my trade ideas for the week and see how they did. I'm not paper trading on an account, but I think it's really beneficial to always keep track of any idea you have. Yeah, at the yeah. get-go, though, no, I was just straight live, like, let's do this. I think that's really interesting because, you know how you mentioned you were kind of risk-averse and to not uh, really do the paper trading for a while first before going live is just really uh, impressive. 
I think, because it just shows like how, how brave you are to just go straight in and learn that way is to just trade live. I guess I didn't know the other side of it when I didn't know paper trading. And I was like, okay, well, I'll figure it out. But like when I first started, I wasn't sitting here buying like $1,000 Amazon contracts or $800 Tesla contracts. Like I was looking for like the... 15 to 50 dollar range on maybe like spy or amd or like gld which is a gold etf and then trying to get my feet wet with cheaper things and then sometimes if something went like even a few dollars against me i would cut it or if i made a few dollars i would take it and it was funny like in preparation for this i went back and looked at a lot of my old trades and like for the first three months of 2020, it's like my average loss was like $18 and my average win was like 20 or 30. So I wasn't like going into the market, like going ham for money. I was like, I'm going to like learn this and then work my way up. Nick, just for some clarification there, when you spoke about, you know, you did some classes there, uh, you also mentioned that there was someone who you subscribed to who was providing you with signals um, was that the same person? It was not. It was two different services. Okay. So the signals obviously wasn't, um, well, I presume it wasn't a great success for you. It actually was in my own way. Um, I realized pretty quickly after I got Thinkorswim, I like learned that you can pull up charts for individual options contracts. And that's something I got really into. I was like, always studying like how do the options move next to the stock because clearly like when a lot of volume comes in on an option it can move a lot quicker than the underlying prices and what i realized early on was when this guy was sending a signal there could be four or five thousand contracts trading in like the next minute or two minutes from everyone piling in and that alone if it was like it didn't work so well with like Apple or Microsoft or higher volume like contracts, but if it was like Shopify or even AMD at the time wasn't a big name, his signal could have moved the like the option contract 20 or 30% in those couple minutes. And so I turned it into a game of that was my goal. I would get in as quickly as possible. I would take that initial pop and that's what I would take on the trade. If it didn't work right away, I would cut it, but I was avoiding possible drawbacks by just scalping the signal for the initial volatility push. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's um, kind of clever. <laughs> Which I didn't even realize at the time what I was doing. It was kind of later that I realized like, oh, this is implied volatility going up because 5,000 like contracts just got sold and supply and demand's off balance. But then I was like, why am I just going to sit here and just like, maybe this works, maybe it doesn't when I can take 20 or 30% every time he sends one of these. Right, right. Well, I know you obviously don't play that game uh, these days. Um, so, you know, you, you did move on from that. Talk to us a little bit about how you begun to develop your own trading approach. Like you kind of went down this route, you've sort of gone through the the Wall Street bets avenue uh, what else have you done? You'd, you'd done like a bit of a, a class or some sort of education there. You'd done a few different things, right? Mm-hmm. You'd run out of money at some point. You'd come back. At some point, you start to develop your own trading approach. 
and sort of find the things as cliche as it sounds, which, um, you know, work for you. <laughs> right. But, but it is also, there's a million ways to do this. And that's also, it's fascinating. And even like today, my approach has to be changing because we're not in a bull run where things just run straight up anymore. Can you speak to that part about actually sort of starting to find your groove? Like, what was that like? And, and how did you kind of go about that? Like, how did you start to develop your own trading approach? Because I think this point's quite key for like a lot of developing traders. You know, they, they obviously read and hear a lot of things online. But, you know, once you actually start to build that into or sort of blend that into your own approach is when sort of things can start to take off. I'd stuck with my idea of scalping the options like that through 2020 but also trying to do my own ideas on the side and like through 2020 my account was probably never more than three or four thousand dollars because i was just taking stuff out as i made it and so i had to stick with the options but i was like for my trades i was probably sticking to cheaper stuff than what he was trading but a similar style of focusing on big tech or at the time like all of the high pe ratio like Square and Zoom and Shopify and just all those high-flying names, just mostly like scalping breakouts on like levels to the upside whenever we would see new highs. Those were good trades for a while. I think like late last year is when that really started fizzling out. And then I really like trading like psychological levels like 100, 150, 200, 250. There's usually like some decent volatility for scalping options around those. When you were scalping those options, I mean, I think you mentioned you were doing it with a smaller account. Three or four thousand, I think, is what I kept it at through 2020. How could you maybe share any challenges that you faced with with having a small account, or maybe it wasn't a challenge for you? I'd love to hear about that. With options, it really wasn't because I'm not so concerned about like needing the about like bulk of money that you need for equity trades and i was trading like one or three contracts at a time max i've never hit mm-hmm. like that 15 or 20 that's just like way too risky to me i was looking to like keep my risk probably between 100 to 200 dollars per trade if i even drew down that much and a lot of these scalps were like one to three minutes where i was just like in and out make 50, 100, 200 bucks, whatever the move gave me, move on to the next. So that's what you you did most in most of 2020, <clears throat> is that right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And how did that go? Um, really good. It was still my best year, which I more attribute to the crazy bull run from the March lows, but also I had no concept of risk management at the time or system in place. And that was just like, take this trade, take this trade, take this trade. Yeah, yeah. And would love to talk about risk management pretty soon about that. And so in 2020, you were doing that full-time? I worked pretty much like I went to work at the equivalent of 3 p.m. Eastern. So I was available for the market in the mornings up until about the last couple hours of the day. But even still, most of my money comes from like the first couple hours the market is open. And so I was able to be there for that every day. Yeah, it's nice when you have a job like that, which kind of allows you to work in the evenings or later in the day. And then you still get some time during the day to, um, you know, monitor the market and 
put on a few trades here and there as you see them. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. As we're talking about 2020 here, I recall you saying um, when we were talking via email um, that you, you felt as though your income in the dining industry was kind of threatened. Um, and it was almost like a bit of a push for you to take trading more seriously. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Obviously, we know what happened in 2020. <laughs> right. And it's like around that January, February is when I think like got interested in trading again. And then March was like chaos. Everything's shutting down. Restaurants are shutting down. And so for me, it's like the restaurant industry is all I've ever worked in. And I mean, everyone is panicking. Like, where are you going to make money if all the retail locations are closing and all the restaurants are closing, all the offices are closing. So for me, it was like, okay, I need to make this work for me as a just in case. Mm. Let's move along here and talk about the actual point where you decided to go full time. So I don't know if you did lose your job during this period. Maybe you can clarify that. I actually ended up working more. Uh, oh, okay. We were, um, pizza was the king of takeout. And so we were like way, way busier than we were ever in the history of me working there. Ah. So that was actually kind of nice too, because I was still working in the evenings, but was making a lot more money because of just how much higher our sales were. And it was just like me and a bartender doing to go orders and splitting the tips for it. So I was also able to like build up like a little bit of a cash cushion from that as well. Yeah. Okay. That's funny because I mean, so many things just happened during that time, which no one could foresee. It was like the opposite, you know, everyone thought the market was going to crash and it did for like a month or two, but then it was straight back to all time highs. And yeah, the market was like oblivious to what was going on in the rest of the world. <laughs> right. It, and it was just also like a lot of people like me who got the stimulus checks and was like, Hey, let's throw this in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> there was plenty of that. So at what point then did you decide to pack in this job? I know you've got a bit of a side hustle at the moment, um, which sort of provides a little bit of income for you outside of the market, and we'll get to that. But at what point did you decide to pack in this job at the restaurant? Um, probably around last fall. So let's say fall of 2021. Um, I had bought a house in Iowa in 2017, and then just kind of like wasn't digging living there. And so my girlfriend and I started looking around and we ended up moving to Virginia. And so it was kind of a mix of me like wanting to move away, but also like I knew selling my house at the beginning of this year was very lucrative. That was probably the best trade I've ever put on. And so that gave me a padding for 
2022 to like kind of really dig down and be like, okay, I want to like go for this. What month is fall? Like what, what time of the year is that? I'm, I'm in Australia, so I just don't know what point of 2021 that was. Gotcha. <laughs> um, probably around September or October. Okay. So it's been about, what, about nine months, roughly? About nine since- months since I, I was like, I mean, I didn't quit my job until this past January, and then we moved in March. March 1st is when we moved. Okay. So since March is what I would call my full-time approach. Okay. What I'm trying to build up to here is basically just asking you, like, what gave you the confidence to go full-time? And how did you prepare for it? Um, I mean, the preparation was like, I mean, like I said, selling my house was a big cash cushion. I made like a 60% profit on that. And just kind of like looking back, like last year, I started really taking like the time to track all my trades, looking at statistics. And it's like, even if I don't make money month to month or day to day, it's like over the long run, it's like you're making money consistently. And it's like, and I work well under pressure for the most part. So I was like, go, I was just like, all right, I'm going for it. Like I went two years with having two down months that were pretty insignificant and then just building up like a really good profit cushion to kind of lean back on. Did you make enough money to, to cover your living expenses? Oh yeah. I'm like good for like I like I said, I'm very risk averse. Like if I ended up in a situation where even if it seems like six months out or a year out, I run out of money, I would like instantly like cut my trading size and work more. But for the time being, yeah, I'm really comfortable with where I'm at. Do you mind sharing um, just a bit of a guide if you don't want to give the exact number, just kind of how much savings, I know this is sort of a bit of a personal question, but for people who are sort of, it, it's it's such a big leap for some people to take the the point from being employed, having the safety of a paycheck, and jumping to full time trading, which is quite a risky pursuit in of itself. So, do you mind sharing a bit of an idea as to how much savings you had behind you, which kind of helped to give you the confidence to pursue this full time? Um, after my house closed near the end of March, I was around 50000 in my bank account. And I know a lot of people listening are going to panic and be like, oh my God, that's not enough to try to trade full time. But I approached it in a way where it's like, I don't have any debt. I don't have a car payment. And my monthly expenses are maybe twelve to 1300 a month. Like I live very frugally. I'm not a flashy person. I like my $4 target t-shirts and my $20 shoes that are on sale. (laughs) And so I think that is also having that mindset of like, I'm frugal. I never really grew up with much. And so I don't really want much still. And that has been really helping me to kind of like focus on this without stressing about the money side of it. Okay. And did you have a plan B at all? Like obviously the the savings is is nice. It gives you a bit of um, bit less pressure to make income from trading right away. Did you have a plan B or like sort of a cutoff point where you said, you know, if I don't succeed at trading over the next kind of twelve months, or if I don't make X amount in the next twelve months, then you know I'm going back to making pizzas at the restaurant or. <laughs> 
Um, sure. I mean, like in my head, it's like if I lose, if I dropped a thirty thousand like total, I would definitely cut back and look to work more. Um, I'm not like trying to like risk going broke or anything crazy like that before I throw in the towel. I'm a little bit more sensible about it, luckily. Um, Nick, if you can share a little bit about you mentioned that you you started a a startup, um, a pizza startup, I believe. Can you share a little bit more about that? And that's what you do as your own business, right? Yeah, my girlfriend and I, we do, we're doing it on Sundays at a brewery in town where I've got like a little tabletop wood-fired pizza oven and we'll go sling 60, 70 pizzas and hang out on the patio and chat with people. And it's kind of for fun. Like the great thing about like restaurants are a terrible business if you want to make money. And it's just like, nickels and dimes on the dollar for so many hours and stress but when you get into the world of like caterings and just kind of doing stuff like this you can make a decent amount of money for just a couple days worth of work and it's it's fun to me i really do enjoy it that's why i've done it forever instead of seeking something that was higher pay but right now we're just like we're doing this on the patio on sundays and then eventually i want to try to grow it into more of like a catering catering oriented job Pick up a couple weddings on the weekends. The reason why I ask that too is because this is what I'm curious about. If if you were to have a choice between trading full-time versus having your pizza business full-time and they both made the same amount of money, which would you choose? Oh, I would trade, no doubt. I would sell the the pizza concept to somebody and trade full-time. Okay. Okay. That, that makes sense. I mean, you know, some people really love the restaurant business, but like you said, it's, it's, it's like, I, I used to have one, so I know how it feels like to, to run a, a run, run a restaurant, uh, being, being that business, it's really, really hard and like basically no life at all. It um, is. And it's you're like working when you do it for so day. many years, it really like piles on you. You mm-hmm, never have nights mm-hmm. off. You're there every weekend. And it's just kind of like, it is fun, and I think a lot of it is the people that mostly get drawn to work there make it fun, but you just can't do that your whole life. Yeah, yeah. So, Nick, I'd like to ask you, once you did go full-time here, were there any unexpected challenges that you came up against or any realizations that you had, um, you know, which you didn't anticipate beforehand? There was. So like I mentioned earlier, in 2020, my account was maybe three to four thousand dollars and I was taking some out. Um, 2021, I started at ten thousand and I ended up doubling that. And then after my house sold in this past March, I bumped myself up to forty thousand and I was like, okay, I've got some backing, I can make some real money. I'm going to do do 1% risk per trade and this will be fine because I have all this extra money mm-hmm. and I could not handle that level of risk. I just can't hold on to trades and watch $400 go by. I ended up cutting it down to half a percent and I'm doing much better. Do you think you just sort of jumped in your risk per trade kind of thing too quickly? I do. I think just trying to go from that one to 200 to doubling it to 400 and also going back to like my scalping habits and just kind of 
not coming from much money. It was just like, it's really hard to watch that go by still. Okay. So what did you do? I think this, this is kind of an interesting point uh, that you bring up. Um, you know, it said you, you said you have your risk. Did that fix the issue? Did, were you then more comfortable? Or was there something more to it? Um, well, there's two things to it. I cut my risk in half, but I also broke up with options and have been more focused on equity trading now that I have a margin account and I'm able to. And that has helped me immensely with being able to hold positions longer. I'm trying to focus more on bigger picture than scalping because, I mean, even in this market, scalping options is like still really difficult with the market up and down and up and down. Breakouts fail all the time. And so I've been focusing more on my equity trading over that. And so it's like I'm trying to learn a different game at the same time as cutting my risk. But moving from options to equity, it's also kind of like, oh, I've been playing this game on like the hardest mode for four years now. (laughs) Like it's definitely, I wouldn't, it's not easy like, oh, this is easy to make money. But compared to like, trading options where if something moves up and comes back to your stop and you're down 20% because the option expires this week, it's just, it's just really frustrating to like watch the volatility in those compared to equity. Right. When you first started trading, you were trading just options. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And then, but you were scalping options. Did you learn any other strategies with options or were you just scalping? I mean, mostly I was focused on like just the momentum scalping. And I mean, especially through 2020, where stuff like Zoom could easily pop four or five dollars at the open and Tesla doing its ridiculous run. Like, unfor- like it was very frustrating to me because I was so bad at like holding on to trades or the days that they would take off, I would completely miss it. And mm-hmm. so that was also a part of me trying to switch over to equity now as well, where I can hold on to stuff longer and look more towards the bigger picture. But with options, I was just like so afraid it would come, the equity would come back to break even and the option would be down 20%. I was like, whatever, I'm just going to take the scalp and go with it. Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, the hardest thing for me, like I, I trade options now. It, it's kind of the opposite. I used to trade equities and now I, I've switched to options. But options can be really challenging too with the the time decay, right? It's it's super challenging, but it's really interesting to hear that you had started with options and now you're now you're trading equities and it sounds like um, you're having more success with with ty- this type of trading and maybe if you can share a little bit more of uh, your um, strategy with equities. Um, with equities, so it's like it's much harder to scalp and. What I like about trading stocks, it's much easier for me to manage what my risk is. And so on the side of my screen, I have a table that I update every day with what my account value is. And it's a chart of like where my stop is, whether my stop is 25 cents or 40 cents or a dollar or $2. I can just glance over and know how many shares to buy to be at like half a percent risk or 1% risk if it's a really good trade. And I mean, in this market, it's our like when Lance did his interview on June 13th, he was talking about you have to be crazy to try to short triple Q when it's dropped 10% in three days. And so like right now, 
you don't want to be the person that's trying to buy breakouts, but you also don't want to be the person that's trying to short when the market's going lower. Like if you're long, it feels bad to be selling at the bottom, but everyone's still kind of too timid to really buy the market up. And so shorting into strength has worked for me really well. And shorting into psychological levels like Roku has offered multiple short opportunities at 100. Enphase Energy has offered some at 200. And then probably my better trade this year was shorting Amazon on the backside of its stock split when it ran like, I think it ran 27% in six days leading up to the stock split. And what I read from that was the people who could afford to buy Amazon for $2,000 a share were buying it up, buying it up with the plan of unloading it onto all the people who were going to be excited about $100 a share Amazon. And it ended up peaking, I think, around 128 and some change that day. I shorted it at 128. Um, I got out at like, I think, 121 or 122, but it ended up dropping all the way to like $102 over the next few days. Okay. Nick, I'd like to flesh this out a bit more and kind of, yeah, really just break it down. Starting from scratch, like what are the sort of things you're looking for? Like what is the premise of your strategy? Like shorting strength is um, you, you mentioned there. Can you just go into that a little more like, you know, how do you define what strength, you know, how do you sort of pick your points for where you want to short? Like what are sort of some of the key things that you're looking for that are going to get you into a trade that's going to make you pay attention? Um, like I said, the Amazon one was very interesting because we had that just like large multi-day run up into the split. And so when it's up 27% that quickly, like, yeah, I'm going to start looking for those people to sell. Mm -hmm. And then same thing with like Roku at a hundred, like it just keeps bouncing off of a hundred. And when it's done it, I don't know, like seven or eight times, I think over the last few months, like it just seems more probable that to short it at that psychological level than expecting it to break out in the current conditions. I really like the even number trades, like 100, 150, 200. Those tend to have merit where if you've long and you like bought the dip recently, oh, this is a nice even number to get out. Or if you're trying to short, like kind of like the opposite scenario. Okay. And can you talk on perhaps a slightly more granular level, like about how you're actually timing your trades? Like you are an intraday trader, right? So um, you're, you're not, you're not really looking to swing a trade. Like you're not shorting something and then holding it for the next few days, are you? No. Okay. So obviously as an intraday trader, sort of timing and sort of fighting for prices is pretty key. Like I know you're looking for these like round number sort of reversals around these round numbers. But what about timing it? Like are you looking for sort of a an overshoot of that level and then shorten it above? Or, you know, can you just speak a bit more about the timing of your executions? I guess that can be a case by case basis. Like the Roku one, I would just like I, well, I kind of washed it and it starts sputtering around a hundred and you can kind of see the like it spiked down, I think, to like 99.6 and then back up real quick and back down. And so it's like clearly like just watching it, you could see the selling pressure. And then I would probably throw a stop in at like 
whatever the I think the last trade I took on it, like I put a stop in at 102. That was like the previous day high or the pre-market high or something like that. Or otherwise, like today, just looking for something to kind of get like what Lance calls the right side of the V, where you kind of see that curvature coming back down, where it's like a roller coaster. You get to the top and then you start like seeing that curve back down where the buying slows down and like selling volume starts to come back in. Nick, so do you have a preference of trading uh, large caps versus small caps? What's what's the, your preference? The large caps just come from my option style where I was focused on the names that were going to have high volume in the options. That way they had smaller spreads. So like mm-hmm. Apple is a great beginner options like trading, AMD. And I think just I've kind of just stuck with that over time because I'm like comfortable with the way these stocks move. I've watched them every day for years. I know where my stop needs to be kind of like the personalities like Google, you might need a 15, $20 range versus Apple. You can probably get away with like 50 or a 70 cent stop, depending on where it's going to move. And then now that I'm trading equities, I've moved like the energy sector has been interesting to me. Like the last couple of weeks, it's got a really good volatility. So I've been more focused on that and moving away from the large cap tech, but it is still something that's on my watch list like every day. Are you focused on on like specific um, sectors and industries, or how do you filter for your, I guess, for your trade setups? I have one screen that is always SPX, Triple Q, Art K, and the Dow, and then I kind of look and see what they're doing pre market and what their last few days have looked like. Who's weaker? Who's leading? And then I might break it down into like the sector specific, like the XLE and XLK for tech and just kind of start growing through and be like, okay, this is stronger. What's leading it? This is weak. Why is it weak? Um, Who has earnings coming up? And mostly just kind of based like starting on the large scale of the ETFs and the like SPX and then kind of going down from there. Mm -hmm. Nick, one of the things which, I found uh, particularly interesting from your trading performance is the smoothness of your equity curve. So I'd just like to ask you, like, how have you been able to achieve this um, with such minimal drawdowns? I think you said that you had only two red months in two years. Now, I know you've already highlighted the fact that you're fairly risk adverse, um, but I don't know that that necessarily is the answer here because, you know, just because you're risk adverse doesn't mean that you make money. You could still, that could still be an equity curve with some, um, just some slow drawn out uh, drawdowns. <laughs> what do you think has been kind of the key for you to being able to keep your uh, equity curve up and to the right? Oh man, I ask myself that question sometimes too. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I guess it's just, like I said, like if, when I was trading options, like if something started to go against me, I would usually cut it right away and then just like kind of move on. Okay. And it's just like that kind of the cliche statement of keep your losses small and your wins large. And I know that's been echoed so many times and that like a lot of people can be like, well, yeah, like that makes sense. But for some people that's really hard to do. And I was never, I'm never like married to a trade. Even as like, as soon as I get into something, I'm like, this is probably going to lose. 
And so I think having that attitude has really helped me out because I've never been so sure of a trade that I'm going to hold on to it. Like I just get out if it doesn't feel right. Okay. Do you know your win rate off the top of your head? Um, do you mean like through the year or all time? Uh, I don't know. I guess just sort of over the last kind of couple of months, like more recently. Um, let's see. It doesn't have to be exact, but just huh. uh, year to date, 50%. Okay. Bang on 50%. Yeah. Okay. Are there, is, I presume that's not the other 50% is all losers. There's a, quite a few break even scratch trades there too. A lot of break even. I don't see that right away. That's all right. Okay. Um, but yeah, probably probably closer to like thirty percent on the break evens. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, I think we'll start to wind things down here. Um, there were just a couple sort of uh, final questions that we did have for you. What's like your current kind of area of focus? Like, where are you trying to improve the most at the moment? Like, what are you sort of what goals do you have on the horizon currently? Right now, it's just kind of adapting to equity trading and finding my niche and that that isn't scalping options. And like after Lance's last podcast, he talked about his like the right side of the V concept. And that's something and like the broken slot machine. And those two are two things I've like been really watching Um, the right side of the V. I got two pretty good trades in the energy sector on just that idea but one thing that's like different with options versus equity is I realized that with options I would have to give myself like a decent, decently wide stop loss because of volatility. But then whereas equity, it's like the closer I can bring that in, like the more my risk to reward value is. Like if I'm giving myself a three dollar stop, I need nine dollars to even see three times that. Then I'm like, wait, on most stock moves, like that's not even really like a plausible day. How can I bring this down to risk a dollar to try to see four to five dollars? And so I'm trying to tighten up my stops and my entries on trades and just kind of like get into the groove of equity trading instead of options. What would you say is maybe your top two, the top two game changers that you think contributed to your ability to turn your trading around? That's a hard question because I feel like there was, I never really had that aha moment, but it's just been like more of a steady building of knowledge and experience and just like watching and learning that has kind of contributed to it. And more of just like the amount of like time and passion I've poured into it. Like I said, I'm not getting up at 30 minutes before the market opened and sitting down at the computer, like I'm really like diving in, seeing what's working, what's not. And I think as time goes on, like I'm trying to put more and more into my pre-market routine and my aftermarket routine and being more conscious of like taking notes. And so I think that effort has really kind of helped me snowball into being more consistent as well. Mm-hmm. And would you say also risk management would be a, a major game changer as well? Absolutely. Like I love my new system of just being able to look at a spreadsheet and knowing that if my stop is 75 cents, buy or short this many. And then as the account grows, it's like I'm not sitting here trying to go like from trading 400 to 500 to 600 lots. It just grows organically with the account. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's, it's kind of just like takes that whole thought process out of the trades, which is great because when you're in the moment, you need to like have as like as much mechanical as possible. Yeah, I love that being able to reduce the decision making um, when you need to think on the fly as much as possible. Last question here, Nick. Anyone else who's considering going full time into trading? What tips would you give them? What words of wisdom would you leave with them? Um, don't owe anyone money and don't have any kids. <laughs> just, just don't have financial obligations. And if you mm. do, you just really need that extra padding because, and I feel like earlier this year was a bit for me too, like waiting for my house to sell where it was like, I'm moving across the country. The Ukraine war started like a few weeks before my closing date. And I'm sitting here thinking like, oh crap, like if no one wants to buy a house during wartime, like what do I do? Like I can't like back out on this now. And that was just the financial stress then kind of weighed on me in January and February. And it's one of those things, it's like, if you're going to do this full time, you can't think about needing the money today or needing the money tomorrow. You really have to look at the big picture of knowing that you're going to go through peaks and trowels, but in the end you're profitable. So just stick with it. Yeah, I think you've done a, a good job of setting yourself up to succeed um, on you. that front. So, uh, Nick, I don't know if you're online anywhere. Um, all our communications have just been via email. Are you on Twitter or any other socials? Like if someone wants to follow you, see what you're up to, are you online anywhere? I try to avoid social media. I browse, but I just, I just don't like to participate these days. It's too polar, too many ideas. Okay, so uh, this is uh, um, if, an exclusive. If someone wants to email me, great. I love talking about trading. <laughs> okay, well, do you want to share your email address? Are you comfortable doing so? Um, sure. I guess it would just be bradburn.nicholas at gmail.com. And my spelling for that should be in the title of the podcast. Absolutely. All right, Nick. Well, um, yeah, well done on um, getting to this point on your um, trading path. Hope to keep in touch and... Um, yeah, we'll, um, we'll link up again in the future for sure. Great. Thank you for this opportunity. It was a great chat. Thank you, Nick. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders. 